Welcome to the Not Old Better Show, Smithsonian Associates Inside Science Series. I'm Paul Vogelsang, and this is episode number 362. Human and venomous snake habitats connect. The results are often lethal. Snake bites, according to acclaimed herpetologist Romulus Whittaker, have become a complex problem, earning the designation of a Category A neglected tropical disease from the World Health Organization. People are very frightened of snakes. And in India, we have almost 300 different kinds of snakes. Most are absolutely harmless. But there are some very deadly snakes in India, and they kill thousands of people. These bites are accidents, and they can be avoided. There are 15 species of Indian snakes that have killed humans. But just four of them account for the majority of snake bite deaths in India. Knowing the habits of these snakes and taking steps to avoid accidental encounters with them can save many, many lives. That, of course, is our guest today, Romulus Whitaker. Rom Whitaker, who lives in India, has been recognized for his many herpetological and conservation endeavors, including founding India's Madras Crocodile Bank. He won an Emmy Award for his 1996 National Geographic documentary, King Cobra, about the world's largest venomous snake. Also, he received a Rolex Award for Enterprise in 2008 for establishing two field stations in the rainforests of South India and the Andaman Islands. Join me for a fascinating discussion with Romulus Whitaker about his work on snake bite mitigation, India's iconic snakes, and his ongoing efforts to preserve reptile habitats. Little wonder a species of Indian boa, Eryx Whitaker, was named in his honor. Please welcome to the Not Old Better Show via internet phone, herpetologist, scientist, educator, Romulus Whitaker. Ron Whitaker, welcome to the program. It's my pleasure. It's good to talk to you. I am uh, excited to have this conversation. We're excited to have you at the Smithsonian Associates. Why don't you tell us briefly about your upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation? Well, first of all, let me say it's a big honor. It really is an honor. And I've got some colleagues at the uh, Smithsonian, whom I've known for literally decades, and all herpetologists, and uh, with similar interests and, and likings. And so this opportunity is just absolutely amazing. I'm going to start out telling the uh, audience about my work in India, and basically it has first revolved around snakes and then sort of uh, delved pretty heavily into crocodiles. It was kind of happened... The crocodile part of it kind of happened when conservation, the conservation movement started in India in the early 70s, and crocodiles were literally going extinct. So I, I sort of jumped onto that and, and became a, a, almost like a proselytizer of conservation of an animal which is not really very well loved <laughs> by most mm-hmm. people. And um, yeah, so I'm going to be talking about our work with uh, the sort of magnificent and iconic snake, the King Cobra, where we've got a radio telemetry study going on for the last 10 years with them. We're, we're finding out amazing facts, which I'm going to tell people about. And then I'll probably finish up with my um, present obsession, which is really on snake bite. Um, just to give you a, a background on that, we're, we're the kind, I mean, herpetologists or people who like snakes go around saying we like snakes. And, and then 
people point out, well, unfortunately, these things that you like are also killing tens of thousands of people. So how do you, uh, <laughs> how does that stack up? So it's kind of our business, or it's it's kind of down to us to get people to understand that snakes are not out to get you, and the snake bites are accidents and they're avoidable. And uh, here's how to do it. Well, let me ask you, Ram Whitaker, have you always been interested in snakes? I started my interest in snakes uh, where I grew up first, which was in northern New York State, a little village called Husik, right near the Vermont border, where my single mother looked after myself and my my sister. And uh, it was just a marvelous place for a kid to grow up and full of fields and streams and wonderful places for me to uh, indulge in going out and finding various creatures, frogs and snakes and everything else. Luckily, there are no venomous snakes there, so it was okay. Well, you mentioned the uh, the crocodiles and uh, the fact that they are endangered, and you've, you've famously been involved in uh, creating uh, habitats for snakes, and now you've uh, founded the Madras Crocodile Bank inside India. What is the Crocodile Bank, and, and what makes it unique in, in, in the work that it does there? Okay, I'll give you a little background. Um, as I mentioned, my first interest and my first love was snakes, and I set up something called the Madras Snake Park, first of all, in the city of Madras, a rather large metropolitan city on the southeastern coast of India. And while we were... <clears throat> I mean, it was a wonderful place because um, people could... Right in the city, people could come there, and we had a million visitors the first year, which was totally mind-boggling. Mm. And, it, wow. you know, people have very, very often a negative attitude towards snakes, but there's always an interest in snakes. But... At that place, we did get a couple of crocodiles. It was a small area, and overnight, literally, these, this pair of crocodiles, we got started breeding there, and we said, wow, uh, we've found out that crocodiles are on the verge of extinction, and they're breeding here. And I was in, then, by then in touch with crocodile experts in the United States and in Africa, so we learned how to incubate eggs and, and you know, breed them in captivity. We said, no, this is the answer. We can breed them in captivity and release them back to the wild. And sure enough, we ended up uh, getting a piece of land outside the city. And uh, it was a very well-watered place, a place where you could just dig into the ground and make beautiful ponds. And we started keeping crocodiles. And, well, they, they started breeding like rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned snakes, snake bites, and uh, the extinction of cro- crocodiles. The, the truth is that as, as humans, as we start to encroach a little bit on the habitats of these creatures, um, maybe things occur that, that neither of us want. And so talk a little bit about what you're doing on, on behalf of uh, kind of this complex problem that how do we, how do we as a species, as, as humans... Uh, kind of coexist? Well, yeah, that's a, a really big question. I can go on for several hours on that one. <laughs> <laughs> so let me start by saying that I've, I've always been a great proponent of sustainable use of wildlife. And in, uh, one, one wonderful thing happened to me. I was hired by the United Nations, the Food and Agriculture Organization, to go over and become the production manager of a, of a, a crocodile network in Papua New Guinea. And uh, it was just like a dream place to go to, this, this wonderful wild island. And um, uh, we actually helped set up uh, several hundred crocodile farms in villages. And for sustainable use, there's an excellent crocodile population there. There still is. And there's still a very large crocodile industry. And 
when I came back to India, I said, well, why shouldn't we be able to do that here? Uh, now that we're, we've realized that they're breeding like rabbits, as I mentioned, uh, we could do something similar. <laughs> well, the ethic in India and the feeling about wildlife there um, is almost irreversible. That people uh, protect wildlife and that's it. There's no sustainable use of wildlife in India. So in a way, it's bouncing back or biting back, so to speak, because <laughs> all the wonderful work we've done in, in rehabilitating croc habitats and getting crocs back into the wild means that people are now getting killed by crocodiles. So it's not as though I'm, I'm going to say, see, I told you so, or something like that. I'm a little <laughs> a bit more diplomatic than that. But it is true. If people realize that they have, a, 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 a let's say, a commercial value or, or more than just a, an ecological value, it, it might be easier to protect a species. So that's, that's as far as crocodiles are concerned. As far as snakes are concerned, India is a, an incredible country in many ways, I'm sure you know. Um, Religion-wise, snakes are worshipped in various uh, forms and avatars. Uh, almost any temple you go to, and people on particular holy days will actually worship the stones and uh, place uh, flowers at, at the base of the stones. And it's, it's really a complex relationship because they know snakes are venomous and they know snakes are dangerous, but yet they worship them. So in a way, this has made our conservation activities a bit easier in many parts of the country to, because people naturally already have a respect and, and reverence for snakes. So it, it's in a way a wonderful thing. And at, at the same time, you've got a huge um, a snake bite problem. The snakes that you love are really killing and maiming so many people in India and, and what you're doing about that. Yeah, um, actually, we didn't know, uh, I, back, way back in 1972, I did a survey with two Japanese doctors um, from the Japan Snake Center, wonderful people who worked very hard in going from hospital to hospital, collecting the data on snake bites, and came up with a figure that as many as 10,000 people might be killed by a snake bite. Um, every year in India. And we, we, we at that time thought that was an incredible number. Now, more recently, in 2006, the Global Health Center at the University of Toronto in Canada, uh, in conjunction with uh, the Registrar General of India, did a, a very interesting study on the basis of what's called verbal autopsy. In other words, they went to a million households in India, a, a doctor and a social worker, and interviewed people to find out what the causes of death in their family were. And it's an amazing study, and uh, the figures that they came up with were totally staggering. As many as 46,000 people are killed by snakebite every year in India. And, and we're, we're, that, that's the death rate, and the number of people who are maimed and injured, we still have not got any accurate figures, but it's probably in the vicinity of 200,000 or more. So this is an incredible problem, and... To try to solve it is, <laughs> as you can imagine, is is pretty complex. Well, even with your reverence and respect for the snakes and the crocodiles, you've survived snake bites, and 
And I wonder how you've been able to do that, even even with the antivenom available, their reactions. And so, what's at this point? What are where do you stand with your ability to even take some of that antivenom? Well, that's true. I, but in a way, I I sort of think, well, who's better to talk about snake bite than someone who's been experiencing? You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. I, I was very lucky. I I was uh, the first uh, serious bite that I had. I was in the U.S. Army during the Vietnam conflict. I was stationed in El Paso, Texas at a hospital and I got bitten by a prairie rattlesnake and went straight to the hospital so I, I, I drove myself I, and the, the symptoms hadn't really kicked in uh, until I got to the hospital and then it really started getting serious but I was so lucky because my colleagues uh, were all my friends at the hospital and, and we, they, they had me uh, in, you know with uh, starting a, an IV drip with antivenom almost within an hour or an hour and a half after I got bitten the problem with that was I'm allergic to horse serum, and uh, this is not unusual. I, I think there's something in the vicinity of 30% of human beings have a, a, at least some level of allergy to horse serum, and uh, antivenom is invariably made from horse serum, although they're making it from sheep serum in, in recent years. And uh, out of this 30%, there is a small percentage of those who are hyperallergic or hypersensitive to horse serum. And that's what I have become now. Uh, after you get uh, antivenom once, there's always a fair chance that you might be become hypersensitive. So um, that makes it a little scarier. Uh, if you do get bitten and you do get antivenom, you have to have a cover of adrenaline or um, any other antihistamines that, that will stop the allergic reaction. And But the point is the doctor has to know that. You've got to be near a clinic or a hospital. If you're way out in the field and out in the bush, which I often am, I'm a very careful person now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Ron Whitaker, we're so glad that you're still with us. Of course, you'll be at the Smithsonian Associates presentation June 16th. I just have one final question for you. You mentioned some of these amazing facts that you've learned about crocodiles. Maybe share a couple of those with us to kind of close out. Yeah, I I think what uh, staggered me about crocodiles is their intelligence. These are animals that, I mean, I've worked with them all my life, but it's only in recent years that um, we've had um, a young friend of ours came to the croc bank after um, attending something called a croc school at the St. Augustine Alligator Farm in Florida, and he said he saw some amazing stuff there with alligators learning to do all sorts of things, just the way a dog would, you know, come here, go away, get into the waters, sit up, open your mouth, and, and, and giving them treats. So he said, can we do this here at the croc bank? And I said, of course, let's do that. And he started training some crocs, and it started out with one alligator. uh, And it was interesting because the enclosure that the alligator was in was just next to another enclosure where there were some New Guinea crocs and some Siamese crocs. And while he was training this particular alligator, they were watching and learning at the same time. This blew me away. I mean... To, to teach the alligator to do something and then giving it a treat and, you know, a reward is one thing. But the fact that these other crocs were seeing what was going on, and it was very, very easy to teach them as well. They, they already knew the whole, the whole gambit of tricks. Fascinating. Ron Whitaker, our guest today, who lives in India and has been recognized for his many herpetological and conservation endeavors, including founding India's Madras Crocodile Bank. Ron Whitaker has won the Emmy Award for his 
1996 National Geographic documentary, The King Cobra About the World's Largest Venomous Snake. Ron Whitaker will be at the Smithsonian Associates program coming up June 16th, our guest today. But Ron Whitaker, thank you so much. We're excited to see you. Thank you very much, Paul. This is wonderful. Thanks to Romulus Whitaker at the Smithsonian Associates program presenting Romulus Whitaker's Serpentine World, Sunday, June 16th, 2019, at the Ripley Center in Washington, D.C. Thanks to the Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. And thanks to you, our wonderful Not Old Better Show audience. Remember, talk about better. The Not Old Better Show. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.